All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 543 points, or 1.6%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 104 points, or 2.4%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 423 points, or 3.2%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, we'll call it flat. It's down about 20 points for the entire year. The S&P 500 is still up 10% for the year. And the NASDAQ year to date is up 24.1%. Thank you, Jeff. Really strange, really strange performance, right? We got the Dow zero. For the well, in the, in, in the S&P, I would say majority of that 10% is being driven by seven technology stocks seven of the magnificent seven you know seven of the magnificent seven stocks seven, uh, of, the seven of the magnificent seven yeah you can say that fast five times because i was just looking at the equally weighted s&p 500 now this is through thursday's close we tack on friday's losses you know the equally weighted s&p 500 is definitely in negative territory so far year to date now, obviously, we're in the first month of the fourth quarter. So, you know, we're, we're in that fourth quarter of the game. As Dad's always said, the stock market just kind of divided like four quarters of a football game. And so we're at the beginning portion of the fourth quarter of that football game. And, you know, the numbers of the market cap weighted S&P 500, as we've been talking about for months on the MoneyWise program, and as we've been warning not to investors not to get too far out over their skis because the underlying fundamentals of the market aren't as strong as the year-to-date return of the S&P 500 is, is giving us. Well, the, right now, as it was last week, and you know, really, I guess now we're approaching six weeks since this, this move here and the 10-year Treasury yield began. We're now at a roughly 100 basis points higher in yield for the 10-year Treasury 
uh, in a in a very short period of time. We reached on Friday a five, for for a moment. We didn't close there, but the ten-year Treasury yield on Friday uh, eclipsed a five percent yield for the first time. I believe it's since two thousand and seven was the last time that we were at a five percent yield on the U.S. Treasury. That was that was just two years after you joined us, Kyle. That was sixteen. Years ago, the last time the 10-year Treasury had a 5% yield. Now, we've been talking about 5% yields in the two-year We've been talk, two year Treasury. We've been talking about 5% yields in high-yield money market funds for uh, at least six months. But now we're talking about it in these longer maturity yields. This, this normalization, and I'm going to use that in quotations. I know you can't see, our listeners can't see that in radio land. This normalization of the yield curve that continues to occur. And we've got the, the yield curve is, is just getting flatter and flatter as these 10 year treasury yields get higher and higher. But it's also creating angst in the markets as reflected. In, in this week's performance, in the expectations of you know how much higher can these long-term interest rates go, and I and I can't say that the rhetoric from various Federal Reserve governors, the top of the heap being Chairman Powell, is necessarily throwing any cold water on this fi- on this fire of higher yields. I would say exactly the opposite, at least in terms of what the, the Treasury, uh, in terms of what Chairman Powell said. And I wonder if he listened to our show last week when I had made this quote uh, about one of the sentences in our market comments talking about how this no landing scenario, and we're always talking, is this going to be a hard landing? Is it going to be a soft landing? What it comes to uh, the expectations for a recession, and I'd thrown out this this idea of, okay, how about a no-landing scenario? As it would see the Fed contemplate further tightening and risk an eventual deeper recession. And what what did the chairman talk about this week? He said, you know, basically, we'll boil it all down. The economy's still too strong. That's that's what he said. Would you agree or disagree with that, Kyle? Well, no, I would. I definitely would would agree with that. And you know, it makes me wonder if. And and we've talked about it on this program that the Fed is going to continue to talk tough. They're going to continue to talk very hawkishly. They're not going to start talking dovishly anytime soon, if ever, because I think by continuing to talk hawkishly, Jeff, it, it allows the Federal Reserve a reprieve from having to raise interest rates anymore. Allow the market to do the job for it, allow bond traders, allow bond investors to do their work, any future work for them to where they don't have to raise rates anymore. And we heard plenty of talking heads this past week and in prior weeks saying that the Fed is done. They don't need to raise rates anymore because the bond traders on the longer end of the yield curve and the bond buyers on the longer end of the yield curve or bond sellers on the longer end of the yield curve are doing the job for them. They're in essence raising the federal funds rate 25 to 50 basis points, a quarter to a half of 1% just by the selling action. 
And so I, I would not be holding my breath for any warm and fuzzy commentary from any of the Federal Reserve governors. And we know this past week, and it, we've just been inundated from Fed speak. I mean, we, we talked about this years and years ago, how Federal Reserve governors have become rock stars and are always, there's, there's, a, there's a camera and a microphone. You know, they've never met a camera or a microphone that they didn't love. And they're always trying to get in front of the press. So let's pause right there. Let's take our first commercial break. When we come back, we'll continue to recap the happenings of Wall Street. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in to this weekend's MoneyWise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street this past week, before we went to commercial break, we were talking about, you know, this past week has been just a lot of Fed governor speak. And obviously, there was an interview that Jay Powell gave. Uh, and, and as we were discussing in the last segment, I would say for investors, home gamers, don't anticipate the Fed talking dovishly about what they're going to be doing from an interest rate policy standpoint anytime soon. Because as we've talked ad nauseum on this program, they still had that cream pie in the face from inflation being transitory. And so they're sure as heck not going to start talking dovishly that they're going to be cutting interest rates anytime soon because we still have the CPI, you know, north of 4%. And so we're still several percentage points away from their magical 2% mandate, which really needs to be 3 or 3.2 if they would actually look at the PCE uh, the personal consumption expenditure, which is running 3.2% historically, uh, that really needs to be their mandate, not to, because, you know, as, as we've seen throughout this year, the economy is a lot stronger and is continuing to steam along stronger than the Federal Reserve ever anticipated, even with all these interest rate increases that they have made. And here's something else that came out on Friday, and I know we've talked about it on this program, and we've heard the financial entertainment press talking about how the consumer has been spending down a lot of the savings that they accumulated during the COVID lockdowns, also all the federal stimulus money that's being spent down. Well, lo and behold, they recalculated and actually found out that the information they've been putting out has been a a bit misleading and that there's actually $1.2 trillion more in excess savings that the government has not been accounting for. So the consumer, which the Fed already believes is strong, is even stronger. And this came out this, you know, on Friday that there's a trillion, 200 billion more in excess savings. So if the Fed is looking for the economy to be slowing down in the near term, I feel that they're barking up the wrong tree. 
Okay. Because the consumer has been absorbing these higher interest rates. Now, granted, if you're looking to buy a new house, not necessarily the best time. If you're looking to make an expensive purchase that needs to be financed, of course, not exactly the best time. But not everyone in this country is looking for a new house or looking to buy a new toy or a new vehicle. You know, they can bide their time in a lot of cases. So <clears throat> I, I, and, and let me just touch on this conversation that I had with a few clients this past week. <clears throat> Because, Jeff, you were talking earlier in the last segment about, you know, getting back to, in air quotes, more normalized interest rate environment. And I agree with you. I think the environment of a 0% federal funds rate is over. And I think it's time for all consumers, young and old, to get used to a more normalized interest rate environment and living more within their means, if you make $100,000 a year, you can't afford a six or $700,000 house anymore because interest rates on mortgages are higher. If you make $60,000, $70,000 a year, you can't go out and buy a $120,000 car. You just can't do that anymore. Now, when money was free or next to free, yes, you could definitely spend up based on your income. But I think what this the higher interest rate environment means or the more normalized interest rate environment that we've had throughout the history of our of our country is bringing consumers back down to earth. It's bringing them back down to earth to truly show them what they can afford and become better budgeters and better planners. Now, of course, that's an utopian world that all consumers are good savers, that they're good consumers, that they make smart and sound financial decisions. I know that's a utopian world, but I think all consumers need to get back to the mindset of we're going to have five and a half, six, six and a half percent mortgages. You get a car loan, it's going to be six, seven percent or more. You know, if you have bad credit, it's going to be even higher. So I just think that we all need to get our minds wrapped around that we're not going back to a zero percent federal funds rate and free money anymore. Well, I wouldn't disagree, but aren't, aren't all the things you're saying would would have the effect of an economy growing at a slower pace than maybe it has in in some of these zero interest rate environments we've in, we've enjoyed as in specific consumers? industries. I think in specific industries, obviously the automobile industry, you know, boats you know, toys, all the different kinds of, you know, more expensive toys that are out there. I think we could definitely see a slowdown there. Obviously, housing um, is going to be a situation. But I think I think as time goes on, as more and more consumers get comfortable with that higher interest rate environment, if someone has to move, they have to move. If they have to move for a job, if they're getting relocated, they don't have a choice. Now, for someone who's sitting in a home, they're comfortable, they've got a 3% mortgage, maybe their home value's gone up, maybe it hasn't. But if they're not doing anything in the housing arena and they don't have any big expenditures that need to be financed and they still are being able to service their credit card debt or have no credit card debt at all because they got debt-free during the COVID pandemic, they could still be going out and 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 doing some shopping. They can still go out and go to restaurants. I did read an article this past week, Jeff, 
that we had, of course, all the product consumption during the COVID lockdowns because we couldn't go out. We couldn't leave the house. Then once we could leave the house, all the money got shifted over to services. Now I'm starting to read that consumers' dollars are shifting away from services because they've got it all out of their system, all the revenge travel, all the lockdowns and people going out and just spreading their wings. They're finally saying, it's out of my system. Now I'm going to be coming back to a more balanced equilibrium of how I'm going to be spending my money between product consumption and service consumption. So that could help bring service inflation down as time goes on. What are the, and you've talked, you focused a lot on consumers. What about businesses? I mean, businesses are flush with cash because their profit margins have been historically large. And you know, and we've talked about it on this program, how, Corporations, companies have been taking advantage and using inflation, whether you're a service provider or a product producer, they've been using inflation as just a the scapegoat for elevating prices. Whether or not their input prices jumped that much, they're going to use this as, as an excuse to pad their profit margins. And so a lot of these corporations are flush with cash. Well, companies that are flush with cash, what can they do? Well, we talked about this on past programs, Jeff. Instead of laying employees off, maybe they use that excess cash to keep those people on board. Or if they don't need to lay anybody off, maybe they use that cash to do what? Stock buybacks, special dividends, capital expenditures, stuff that they don't have to finance. They can just use the cash that's in their coffers. Or they just sit on it and keep it as a rainy day fund. Okay. So a lot of rosiness from you today, from the consumer side, from the business side. So I'd have to ask you, so with all this rosiness, why are seven stocks up this year and 493 down? And I'm exaggerating, ladies and gentlemen. Why is the equally weighted S&P negative this year? But the seven stocks driving the market cap weighted S&P show a gain of 10% without dividends. We're we're staring down the barrel right now of two back-to-back negative years in in the stock market. I know we've still got two and a half months left. We haven't had two back-to-back negative years since the beginning of this century. It is exceedingly rare to have two back-to-back negative years. Uh, I, to me, the the market doesn't care about any of the things that you just just talked about. They don't care about until it does. How much, they don't until they don't, it does. They don't care about how much savings. Now the now we get to we get to redo all the numbers, and everyone's magically got even more savings than they did before. The market doesn't care about that. I mean, the market didn't care about it this week, right? All the market's oh. been caring about is this big move in the ten-year treasury and how it, it now now I can go out potentially if I wanted to, but I'm not advocating doing this, nor am I advocating to our listeners that they do this. Is just take all my money and buy a ten-year treasury, and I'm gonna lock in a five percent yield for the next ten years. Don't have to worry about stocks. Don't have to worry them going up, down, left, side. You know. Don't have to worry about any of that. As long as I believe the government's going to pay their bills, I want to get my my interest. Not to worry about anything else. All I need is my 
What no, about no, something called monetary inflation? Well, you got, you got what's inflation, your net real, that, ret- what's your net real that, return? That's the problem. Is... And we're going to have to take a timeout right there and come back on this conversation on the other side of the break. Okay. Let's do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us at our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So I wanted to continue, if you're just sitting in the weekend's Money Wise program, Jeff, you made the comment, you know, with when you got the 10-year treasury right around that 5% level, you know, why someone just doesn't go out and buy nothing but but U.S. treasuries, you know, riskless investment, you get your five, you know, 5% yield to maturity. Now your coupon most likely is going to be less than that 5%. Um, you know, you're probably going to be staring at a, an interest, an annual interest payment between two and a half and less than 4%, but your overall yield to maturity, because you could be buying that bond at a discount over the course of its maturity range, you'll be having a yield to maturity right around that 5% level. So why, why does every investor do that? And as I mentioned before going to commercial break, what about that pesky little thing called monetary inflation? Because if monetary inflation is running at 4.2 and you're getting 5, your net real return is less than 2%. Now, I don't know of too many investors that can live comfortably on 2% or less than 2%, and completely throw monetary inflation out the window. Because as we've talked on other programs, monetary inflation is the silent killer of the value of your portfolio. Don't confuse with return of principal with return of purchasing power. That's what stocks are utilized for. Stocks are utilized to provide growth opportunity, capital appreciation to help outpace monetary inflation, over the life of your retirement nest egg. This is why we have always been a balanced manager at Davidson Capital Management for the last 34 years. Now, and we're a tactically balanced manager. So depending upon market conditions, economic conditions, geopolitical conditions, our forward guidance, we might have maximum allocations to stock within our specific asset allocation models. Or in times of market turmoil, we might be at a minimum allocation to stock. That's what active asset management is about. That's what tactically managing a portfolio is about. It's not set it and forget it. It's not the passive strategy that 99.8% of Wall Street firms follow in this day and age. And so the bottom line is, to your question, Jeff, to your point of, well, if it's just been seven stocks that have been driving majority of the return of the S&P 500, you know, what, what, what gives, you know, what is going to happen? Are we finally going to start getting some participation? Are we finally going to get some equity buyers into the market and really start seeing some breath in the market, not just concentrated in these technology names? And I would say to any investor, if you have a six-month time window, okay, definitely want to be more protective. But if you've got a three, five, 10, 15, 20-year time period, There are some good values in and around here because we've had so many stocks not participating yet. 
and have definitely not recovered from their end of 2021 highs by any stretch of the imagination. But you're going to have to stomach some churn. And you will. This, but that's this, where balance, a balanced philosophy comes into play to help mitigate that volatility and help mitigate some of that downside risk. So don't – if you're looking for instant gratification in this mar- market environment, this is not the market environment for instant gratification. Uh, in, in some respects, uh, you know, committing money – in in an environment such as these comes, you know, you're just going to have to expect that, as Kyle just said, it might be a year before potentially, if if things go the way I think they're going to go, and not, and you guys don't necessarily agree with the with the with the way with my view of the market, because I think, you know, my concern is these these interest rates that have come up is changing the calculus for stock valuations because if the riskless rate of return is where it's at now and if it stays at this for an you know for an extended period of time i.e. higher rates for longer that has implications for stocks now on the stock side you're going to tell me about the expectations for earnings growth next year is has been revised and now they're talking about double digit earnings growth uh, in 2024, yes, Kyle. And 25. And in 2025, that's a big question mark. You know, I, I, I you know, the analyst expectations uh, are ripe for revision. Um, to it, it, whether the Fed is done raising rates or not has been is immaterial, and we said that we've been saying that for a month plus now. Whether they go up another quarter point or they go up another half point in the next six months. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the Fed funds rate is five and a quarter or five and a half by January. What's going to matter? Where's the tenure? Is the is the tenure at six? Our mortgage is at nine. You know, we got over eight percent in mortgages this week. You know that that's that's a totally that, you know that's totally different. Uh, uh, you know, to me that, that has implications for stocks. So. What I what I want to kind of just what I tell what I, what I would say to our listeners, you know, is don't get carried away being too aggressive on your asset allocations to stocks here. And I'm not saying be at zero, and I'm certainly not saying be at 100 percent unless you're 20, and you're not going to be uh, uh, retiring for another 40 years. We're still roughly 50-50 in a moderate asset allocation portfolio. We've been at 50-50 for many, many months. We continue to discuss adding more bonds to our portfolio, but have chosen to hold off, and that has been a good decision because interest rates have just come up even more since we started talking about adding another bond to the portfolio. We may do, we may pull the trigger on a bond next week. Uh, if we get some good earnings numbers next week, we'll probably recover some of what's happened in the week just passed, because really all we're doing here is we're we're basically floundering around the 200-day moving average. It will pull up to it, we'll bounce off of it, we'll have a few weeks up, then we'll then and then we come right back down to it. It's that's a sideways turn. It's the cha cha. We're just we're just moving sideways. There there it's a very difficult market to gauge because it's day to day. 
data know, points it, by data it, points. It's, it's really all about interest rates. It's not about the geopolitical stuff. I don't think that's really what's driving the market. You know, none of that. None of that is really to me. It's all about what's happening each day on those yields. We'll get a little reprieve with some earnings news next week. If the if the big mega cap names disappoint, we got two of them on Tuesday that we own: Microsoft and Google, and which I think are after the market. Mm-hmm. If they if they disappoint, then you know, like you know, Tesla disappointed in the week just passed. It it was down. What I what I think it was going to be down even more. I would have thought, you know, for a moment it would have down been down more than it actually was. And Elon Musk didn't have very nice things to say about the economy. We do not own Tesla uh, as a stock in our portfolios. If we have some of these mega cap names re- report something disappointing, then then you know the S and the the market cap weighted S and P five hundred performance for the year uh, maybe maybe under threat. You know, 10% might turn into 5% up by the end of next week if we have a few big disappointments in those mega cap tech names. And we, or the reverse. Well, or the or reverse. the reverse. Can, we get because, a reprise, because you know. We had this big run-up in years. Buying opportunities. Right? We had 100 basis points up on a 10-year treasury. Every time you have these, these outsized moves, I mean, that's more than a, well, that's 25% move. Goes from four to five, just rounding it off, right? That's twenty. That, that's a twenty-five percent move in a ten-year Treasury yield. Unless it's a big move a, for a market a, that, that size. That's a big move that has market implications. Markets have to digest that. That's and that's that's what's been happening these last few weeks. And it could also be more of a trade as opposed to a trend, because we know bond vigilantes out there selling. Eventually, it's going to get to a yield to where corporations, pensions, foreign governments say, you know what, this is an attractive yield. It's the only riskless investment in the world. I'm going to take a 4.95% 10-year treasury, and I'm going to buy it. And all of a sudden, we start having buyers coming into the market, bringing yields lower, triggers the algorithms to start buying on the stock side. Because a lot of this movement, I would say, you know, when you've got over 60% of daily average volume in the markets being run by computers that are tied into one another, and they've been definitely tied in to the yields, particularly in the 10-year treasury as kind of the primary gauge for interest rates for all intents and purposes. So we start seeing some buying coming in on the Treasury side on the longer end of the yield curve, bringing yields lower, then that's going to trigger the algorithms to start buying on the equity side. I so could give this you could, another I'll give This you another could scenario. definitely reverse. I'll give you another scenario. Money on the short end leaves and goes to the long end. What would, what would happen there? Short rates are well, higher. Yeah, well, that will definitely uh, invert and the that, yield curve even further. And, and, that, and well, we we start inverting the yield curve, and there might be you know, what what implications would that have? <clears throat> so, but as we said on last weekend's program, you know, the Fed controls the federal funds rate. The rest of the yield curve is controlled by investors. Period. Globally, that's who controls the investor. So. You know, again, Jeff, to your point of what gets the market moving in the other direction, obviously better earnings results. We start to see the 10-year, 20-year, 30-year treasury yields start to come down, or excuse me, start, yeah, start to come down 
to then trigger some potential algorithms buying on the other side, plus individual investors, because of so many good, fundamentally strong companies at even better values than they were a week ago. Well, let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. MoneyWise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, before we went to break, I was just saying, you know, for the long-term investor, you know, obviously we've got the S&P 500 closed just below its 200-day moving average. And, Jeff, you were making the point, really, you know, since the since the end of August, we've seen the market have this September corrective move. Then we saw a little bit of a comeback, you know, the previous week. And then now this past week, we fell back just below the 200-day moving average. And it seems that the 200-day moving average has really been the line in the sand. But really, the next line in the sand from downside-level support is at 4,200. Now, if we happen to break below 4,200 points on the S&P 500, the next stop could be 3,950 as the next stopping point. Now, of course, I'd want to know what that, what this underlying story would be. Uh, you know, I don't know if not so well received earnings or downtrodden forward guidance would be that catalyst necessarily. Necessarily, I think that things are more tied in as far as the market and the stock side is more tied into rates. I think if we saw a spike in rates, particularly the 10 year, let's say get above five, five fifteen, five and a quarter, uh, could definitely. Uh, get the, the the stock market to that level, uh, but you know we're coming into the real juicy, meaty part of earnings in the next couple of weeks. So I have to reiterate, just folks being careful with uh, your asset allocations and understanding, you know, having an overly aggressive asset allocation in this environment, especially say you're you know, X number of years away from retirement, I mean, let's say you're 10 years or less away from retirement, I would I would be very cautious of having an aggressive asset allocation to stocks in this environment. The environment that we've been in, uh, well, you know, it, here we're approaching two years since we've started this interest rate normalization process. And you think how many years we spent in this zero interest rate environment, how many years does it take for us, you know, economically to get interest rates back to a more normalized position, get the yield curve back to a normalized position? Because we're we're still we still don't have a normal yield curve. And what and what and where is that? It's much flatter, it's not as inverted. And so some would say, well, hey, you know, we don't have the inverted yield curve anymore, so the recession 
you know, recession uh, uh, worries have got to be less. Well, hey, we just got the 18th straight leading economic indicator negative. 18 straight negative leading economic indicators. 18. We've never not had a recession. How many, Jeff? 18. 18. You yeah, know? I mean, and we're all on record. We feel that we're going to see a recession in 2024. I think we're all on record that it's going to be mild in nature. One of our biggest saving graces, I would say, is the employment picture. Plus, you know, we still have, and as we just found out from a report that came out this, you know, on Friday, that the American consumer has a trillion, 200 billion more in savings than uh, first anticipated or for or first reported. So they even have more money. And I think, again, that's contributing to why the economy is doing so well. In fact, I believe next week, Jeff, we get the first reading of third quarter GDP. Well, we got new home sales. We got, yes, we have first reading of third quarter GDP. We got durable goods. We got penny home sales, personal income, personal spending, earnings news, all of that happening next week. I didn't even gone into any of the the statistics from the week just past. Retail sales were were up. Industrial Stronger than anticipated. Was, industrial production was up. Housing starts was up, but existing home sales were down. Uh, and as I said, leading economic indicators was down for the 18th straight month. <laughs> <laughs> you got to so, say it three times like Biden. 18. 18. Okay. 18. Well, and, and I and I wanted to throw this out, you know, with according to facts that uh, so far through this earnings season, 17% of the companies, the S&P 500, have reported their actual results. 73% of the S&P 500 companies that have reported have seen a positive earnings per share surprise, and 66% of the companies have reported a positive revenue surprise. So far, we're at a 0.4 negative percent earnings decline. So this would make the fourth quarter in a row, if this happens to be that we wind up having a negative quarter for earnings again, this will be the fourth quarter in earnings a row growth. of negative earnings growth. But the for the fourth quarter of, or excuse me, for the four 12-month price earnings multiple, the price earnings ratio is at 177 now, that's below the five-year average of 18.7 and just slightly above the 10-year average of 17.5. Now, here would be the question. Strip out the Magnificent Seven. Where's the price earnings multiple, the S&P 500? I'm going to venture to say it's at least two points lower. Let's just say at 15.7. So like I said before the end of the break from the last segment, there are a, a lot of fundamentally strong companies that have yet to participate in any type of rally really going back to the end of 2021. So for the home gamers, for the individual investors out there that have an appropriate asset allocation to stocks, there is still a lot of good values to be had out there. And from what I'm seeing, I would not say that the, that the market is overvalued or overpriced at this point in time. The only thing I'd say about those five-year and 10-year average P.E. numbers is think about what interest rates have been in those five years and 10-year average time periods. The interest rates we had in those time periods are more substantially lower than they are now, and so you have to call into question those, you know, the, the 
how applicable those measurements are in this interest rate environment. That's the only thing I would caution what's ha- investors, and I think that's what's happening in stocks. I think that's why these stocks that you're talking about, Kyle, aren't participating because everyone's trying to figure out the new calculus on, on PE valuations, what's overvalued, what's undervalued based on the new reality of the interest rate environment that we're in. And that's that's this ongoing you know, ebb and flow, up and down, right and left movements of the market. Now, next week, hopefully we get some good news and the earnings are, are favorable and we'll recover some of this loss that we had for interest rates and, and the 10-year Treasury yield, March higher. Maybe that pace will slow. We'll see. And the S&P 500 needs to hold that support level at 4,200. And if we can hold that level, then I think throughout the week, I think we could definitely see some buying as long as rates don't get too crazy moving higher. With that, we're coming up to the top of our break, so we'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com if you missed the first hour of money wise you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past money wise programs You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So now that we're in our second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, and again, like really wanting to use the second hour for investor education, uh, a topic that we have been discussing for the nine-plus years uh, we've had the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX. I, it's, it's a topic that I wanted to revisit, go into a little bit more detail about. And for any longtime listener of this program, they know uh, our disdain, our distaste, our dislike, or I should say just straight out plain hatred of annuities of any way, shape, or f- any any shape and form. And so... The reason why uh, I've been motivated to, to talk more about this and go into a deeper investor education this on this weekend show is just here recently working with some prospective clients have been seeing more equity indexed annuities, which are the most dastardly of all annuity products out there, and wanted to really give the education and pretty much a f- blanket warning to any investor, any listener of this program thinking about getting involved in this type of product to not only get up and walk away, but to get up and run 
away. And so I want to just go into some education. So let's just start kind of from the very beginning. You know, what is an annuity? An annuity is a contract between you and an insurance company in which the company promises to make periodic payments to you starting immediately or at some future time. So if the payments are delayed, that's called a deferred annuity. And if the payments start immediate, it's called an immediate annuity. Bottom line, the definition of annuity is periodic payments. I mean, really, that's what it is. The key word in that statement that you just made, Kyle, is the word promise. Mm -hmm. It is not a guarantee. That's right. Now, there are, for whatever reason, the insurance industry is allowed to use that word. The G word. As part of the marketing pitch. Mm -hmm. When in reality... It is nothing more than a promise because, as we've said uh, since the beginning of this show in 2005, there is only one only guaranteed investment, and that is government, U.S. government bonds, bills, and notes. That's right. That's the only guaranteed investment. Anything else is nothing more than a promise. It's a, and really, it's like you said, Jeff, it's a sales pitch. It's in the sales pitch because that the G word, as we call it, the get word guaranteed, gives the potential buyer that warm and fuzzy feeling that I'm protected under this this blanket of cover, this blanket of guarantee, and that's that's not true in the world of annuities. So annuities really come in two types: fixed and variable. Now, a fixed annuity, the insurance company guarantees, quote unquote, guarantees both the rate of return and the payout. A variable annuity's rate of return is not stable, and it varies with stock, bond, money market funds that you choose as investment options. And there is no guarantee that you will earn any return on your investment, and there is risk that you will lose money in the variable annuity contract. So those are just kind of the two basic, main basic annuities. Now we get over to what is an indexed or equity-indexed annuity, the new marketing term that they're using now, Jeff and Dad, is a hybrid annuity, which is starting to show up at uh, at lunch and dinner seminars across the city, a hybrid annuity. This, the equity indexed annuity product, mm -hmm. is on the radio as, 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 it's almost as heavily marketed now as gold is. I'd probably say in some instances more, Jeff. You know, I don't see, I do not see on television a lot of pitches for equity indexed annuities. But whether it's satellite radio, whether it's terrestrial radio, uh, there are radio shows all across. You know, we, we hear, as we're driving across the state of Texas, there are probably five equity indexed annuity based radio pitch shows for every one registered investment advisor. A type show like we have it here with uh, MoneyWise on KKTX. There, th there'll be five others. Uh, we know of at least two or three in the San Antonio market that do nothing but pitch equity and annuities, mm -hmm. and uh, we know for a fact in every large market in this state there is a radio show either running on Saturday or Sunday whose one and only basis of running that show is to promote equity-indexed annuities. And every show is just repetitive, 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 trying to drill in all their marketing techniques and some of the outrageous claims that they can make. And as we get further in this education, I'll explain why the salespeople 
of equity indexed annuities can make such outrageous claims in their sales pitches. So what is an equity indexed annuity? An EIA, for short, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. The return varies more than a fixed annuity, but not as much as a variable annuity. Now, I need to educate our listeners that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete against CDs. Now, Jeff, throughout the history of of the advent of CDs, are CDs known for being high rate of return givers? No. Earners? They're they're basically one step below government bonds in okay. terms of in terms of safety As a, I mean, and, and return and then return you know cds are back if you buy a cd at a commercial bank and it has fdic insurance mm-hmm. and you buy the cd under the fdi insurance limits then you are covered by the fdic insurance program if so if that bank should fail so so with this in mind knowing that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete with CDs, that should tell you right off the bat that your rate of return is going to be low. No matter what pitch the salesperson on the other end of the on the other side of the desk is giving you, know in the back of your mind these things were created to compete against CDs. And so you might be looking at a rate of return slightly higher. And when I say slight, I'm talking slightly higher than what you could get in a fixed annuity. And as we get further into the education, I know we're bumping up on a commercial break, you'll see that with a rate of return that might slightly be a little bit higher than a CD or slightly a little bit higher than a fixed annuity of why you would want to avoid these things like the plague when we really start to get into the guts of how these things are actually composed. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our education about equity indexed annuities and why you should avoid these things like the Black Plague, um, just going into the basics of what exactly it is, an equity indexed annuity, again, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. Uh, and again, these things were created back in the late 90s to compete against the returns of CDs. So if you're thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity, you can know right off the bat, no matter what pitch the salesman gives you, that your rate of return might be a little bit higher than that of a CD. But as we get further into this education, you will see how illiquid these things are and how horrible these products are and we're doing our best to educate our listeners to avoid this so we will stop seeing prospective clients coming into our office having bought these horrendous products um, so let's get back to the EIA now equity indexed annuities offer a minimum rate of return a rate of interest and an interest rate linked to a market index uh, now what is the guaranteed minimum rate well typically the guaranteed minimum rate is at least 87.5% of the original premium paid. Uh, And 
that interest rate is going to vary depending upon insurance company of about 1% to 3%. I mean, that'll be your minimum rate of return of 1% to 3%. Now, remember, if you surrender the equity indexed annuity early, you will have to pay a significant surrender charge and a 10% tax penalty, which will reduce or eliminate any returns. And I wanted to talk about that. If you're funding annuities, and this goes for equity indexed annuities, fixed annuities, variable annuities, if you're funding annuities with after-tax dollars and you're pre-59 and a half, if you take out any money from that annuity, whether it's a full surrender, if it's a 10% free withdrawal, when you receive those dollars, a portion of those dollars would be considered gains and taxed as ordinary income, and you would have to pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty. Now, the tax consequences of annuities are typically not disclosed by the salesperson. The salesperson only talks about how great the tax-deferred growth is, but they don't explain to you that when you pull money out of an annuity, how it's taxed, uh, really the detrimental tax effects it has on the way coming out. And that's something that everyone needs to keep in mind. What we have found, Jeff and I and Dad, what we have found when salespeople are selling annuities, they sell based on half-truths. They only tell you half of the story. They only tell you the good part of the story. They never tell you the bad part of the story because if they told you the bad part of the story, you would never sign on the dotted line. You would never, ever in a million years buy any type of an annuity product if they gave you the full truth about these products. And that's what we're here doing today is giving you the full truth about these products to really educate you so you know going in that if this product is pitched to you or positioned to you, you will get up and walk away from the table. So how good is this quote-unquote guarantee? As Jeff and I said earlier, guarantee is only as good as the insurance company that wrote it. So it's not a guarantee. It's a promise. And when it comes to these quote-unquote promises, something else that an annuity salesperson will not tell you is that the state of Texas has a state insurance trust where basically that trust is in place in case an insurance company goes out of business. Well, in the state of Texas, the maximum amount of restitution you could receive back from this trust fund at the, in the state of Texas if an insurance company that you had assets with went out of business is a quarter of a million dollars. So if you go and put a half a million, 600000 a million dollars, whether it be a fixed annuity, equity indexed annuity, or variable annuity, and this insurance company goes belly up, the most you could receive back from the state of Texas would be a quarter of a million dollars. Something else a salesperson is not going to tell you when they're selling you this product. And I can tell you this, during the financial crisis, if we as taxpayers hadn't bailed out AIG with a $186 billion bridge loan to cover their books, the annuity business as we know it would be dead. Now, you don't ever see any stories about that. Nope. We, we talk about it. I mean, we talk about it, but, but the, the fact of the matter is this is, a, this is a secret part of the financial crisis that's never, ever discussed. That's right. And unfortunately, the salesmen that were pitching these products prior to the financial crisis really haven't changed their story. It's the same story. No, the financial crisis, Dad, actually gave them more fire for their sales pitch because annuities... Well, fear has got higher. Yeah, well, particularly equity-indexed annuities, they're sold based on fear. 
and really annuities in general, but especially equity indexed annuities are sold based on fear. So the 2008 financial crisis has done nothing but bolster equity indexed annuity sales because they can prey the salesman yes and i use the word they can prey on your fear on your uncomfortableness and say you know what mr mrs client i've got the product for you all the upside of the s&p 500 with none of the downside how could you go wrong that is the sales pitch that is a sales pitch, and it's a flat-out lie. And here's the, here is the the thing about that sales pitch: if you listen to it very carefully, and you hear that you'll hear, hear this on the radio shows that promote this product, all the upside, none of the downside. So it's a heads I win as an investor, and tails the insurance company loses. I want you. That doesn't exist. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. How does an organization stay in business if the markets go goes up ten percent? Well, you get ten percent. And and if the market goes down ten percent, well, you get the guaranteed minimum rate of return, which might be one to three percent. So you you win either way. Think about that logically for a second. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And and here's something else. Here's something else that's thrown into the sales pitch. Mr. Ms. Klein, I'm not making a commission. Yeah, that's I don't make anything. I don't make anything on selling you this product. I'm doing this purely out of the goodness of my heart because I work for free. Right. That is another part they of don't, the sales they don't go, pitch. They don't go quite that far, but but the Oh, really? <laughs> I, you, you may be Sorry. You, you may be making it a little more dramatic. You may be making bit. a little more dramatic, but there isn't a line item on this on the quarterly statement that comes to the to the client that says sales commission because the sales commissions are paid directly from the insurance company into the salesperson's pocket. Okay, so getting back to equity indexed annuities, so how are the equity indexed annuity interest rates? compounded the rate of return compounded well again the indexed when they talk about index typically a lot of them use the S&P 500 and the index linked gains depends on the particular combination of indexing features that the EIA uses now a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about participation rate meaning how much of the linked index are you going to be participating in so the participation rate determines how much of that gain in the index will be credited to the annuity for an example an insurance company might set the participation rate at eighty percent which means that the annuity would be credited with eighty percent of the gain experienced by the index now that sounds good. So if the S and P's up ten percent, then well, theoretically you'd say, okay, well I want to get eight percent. That's right. Or some, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about a hundred percent participation. So you, as the customer, thinking, wow, I get a hundred percent participation of the S and P five hundred index. So I get all the upside. But then if it goes down and the market goes to zero or less than zero, I get the guaranteed minimum return. Man. What a great deal. I can't believe these products haven't been around forever. Why doesn't everyone own these? That's the good part. Let's actually get a little bit deeper and talk about what every equity indexed annuity has that's buried deep in their 100-plus page prospectus. They have what's called an interest rate cap. And what happens is equity indexed annuities put a cap on the upper limit of your return. And this cap is generally stated as a percentage. 
So let's say that this maximum rate of interest the annuity will earn, for example, you have a cap of, say, 4%. So the market goes up 10. The S&P goes up 10%. You're capped at 4. That's the maximum amount of money that you can make. That's the maximum amount of credit that can be credited back to your account. And I'm oversimplifying this because I don't want to just bore our listeners to sleep, but there are very complicated, convoluted mathematical equations that are used to create the interest rate that's credited to the account. And I can assure you it's not to the benefit of the policyholder. It's to the benefit of the insurance company that's providing and created the indexed annuity. And here's another little kicker. Equity indexed annuity companies pitch the interest rate caps, they pitch the participation rates. But guess what? How long do you think that those rates are guaranteed in a typical equity indexed annuity contract? Short periods of time, less than a year. One year. One year. One year less. Equity indexed annuities have the ability, and most of them do this, that I've done research on, to adjust those guaranteed interest rate caps and participation rates after the first year. They reset them, and they do not have to notify you of them. So what they do is they get you with the teaser rates, get you to sign on the dotted line, get you locked up into extremely long surrender penalty periods, and then 12 months later, the rug is pulled out from underneath you and your equity indexed annuity. We're going to come to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us on our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise.com at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the commercial break, we were talking about how insurance companies that sell equity indexed annuities link interest rates, or basically how your annuity is credited with a rate of return. We talked about the participation rates, how a lot of equity indexed annuities will pitch 100% participation in the linked index, which sounds great. But then you get down to the part of the contract where it talks about the rate of return caps that the equity indexed annuity uh, basically has in place to where they might cap you at a maximum of a 2% rate of return per month. So if the market was up 5% in one month, you might only get two. Um, But again, before we went to the bottom of the hour break, what I have found in my research is that equity indexed annuities give you a one-year teaser rate to get you to sign on that dotted line and then after 12 months of signing that contract, everything changes. Participation rate changes. Interest rate cap changes. And again, it's to the detriment of your account and to the betterment of the insurance company. Now, and that is a sales pitch. That I, is a sales tactic. And I don't mean to steal any of your thunder, no, okay. but there is there is another teaser that draws clients in. Oh, thank you, Jeff, for bringing that up. That is the bonus that is given on the premium. And, and, and we use the word premium because an equity indexed annuity is not an investment vehicle. It is an insurance policy. And we'll talk about why that's important in just a little while. So when you're buying an annuity, 
the money you're putting into it is called a premium, just like if you were buying a life insurance policy. Uh, and so the one thing that we always say to, to anyone thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity, why would an insurance company, if this product is so good... All the upside, none, none of the, the downside. downside. Why would an insurance company need to motivate a buyer with a 10% or 15% upfront bonus? And I'm talking 10% of what you're investing. So if you're putting in $100,000 with a 10% bonus... They're going to say, Mr. and Mrs. Client, we're going to give you $110,000 of your original premium. So we're going to give you $10,000 for free to buy this product. Now think about that. If this thing was as good as the salesman is making it out to be, why would they need to give you a bonus? It's all marketing. It's all marketing. That it, it's to get your sales juices going so where you no, will go inside and get out of line. would get greed. I mean, how many how many right. investment products can you buy? I mean, if you were to buy a mutual fund, you go on the paper and, oh, here's this Vanguard fund. Well, if I buy this Vanguard fund, they're going to give me an extra 10%. If I put $100,000 into it, it's now going to be worth $110,000. Mm-hmm. You see any are your mutual funds offering any, any sort of teasers to get you in or individual stocks? Heck no. No. This is, the, this is one of the only products that I know of that, that – in order to entice people to sign on the dotted line, they they sweeten the pot with these bonuses. But you must stay in that investment for the entire. Well, there's different there's different investing yeah. schedules. There's for different the investing, but but I can you can bet your bottom dollar yeah. that you're going to have to stay in this investment for an extended period of time to ever actually see any benefit from that bonus. When I say extended period of time, we're talking 10 years or more. Yeah, and we'll get to the surrender penalty periods in just a second. You know, and again, as I've, I've said to anyone thinking about buying these, if they have to entice you with free money, if this thing is really that good as it's being presented, they wouldn't have to give you anything. Well, if they were really that good, Kyle, why would we even need to be buying stocks? And why would we need to be buying bonds? Exactly. And why wouldn't you be buying mutual funds? And why would all these other organizations in the United States that are selling, uh, that are managing people's money, why would why would we need to be spending all this time about trying to figure out what's going on in the markets? So all we got to do is stick it in these equity index news. We're going to get all the upside and none of the downside and a bonus on top of it. And why would the majority of major insurance companies not offer this insurance product. And, and you and you bring up a good point uh, that of the 20 largest insurance companies in, in the country, that 19 of them avoid it like the plague and don't touch it with an 11-foot pole, let alone a 10-foot pole. And most equity-indexed annuity providers are smaller, lower credit quality insurance companies, primarily located in the Midwest. You'll see them in Iowa. You'll see them in Missouri. You'll see them in Kansas. You know, you don't see the Met Lifes of the world. You don't see the Prudentials. You don't see um, the principles of the world getting involved in these New York types Life. of products. New York Life. They don't sell these types. Now, they sell variable annuities, and we're not going to go there because we don't like those either. But uh, we're focusing primarily on the equity index annuities. And our listeners have probably heard us keep using the word product, product, product. Inv- Listeners have to understand, everyone has to understand, this is an insurance contract. This is not a security, which means that FINRA, which is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and the Securities and Exchange Commission do not 
police these products, which also means they do not police the words that are coming out of salesmen's mouths when they're selling these. It's up to every state board of insurance to police these. And I can tell you with past conversations I've personally had with the State Board of Insurance, I think they're really behind the curve. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Kyle, but haven't some of the major brokerage houses banned the sale of these types of investments? Well, in fact, FINRA, if you have a 7, Series 7, which is a license to sell financial security, stocks, bonds, options, what have you, um, they are really recommending you not sell these products and that if you do want to sell these products, you have to go through quite a few hoops to even get the authority to sell them. FINRA would prefer any financial salesperson, typical stockbroker, to not sell these products. And, in fact, there is an alert, an investor alert on the FINRA webpage. You can go to brokercheck.com or FINRA to actually read about the investor alerts on equity indexed annuities and how complex they are and how convoluted they are. And they're made that way and they're designed that way for a reason. So the salespeople that sell indexed annuities are not regulated by FINRA. They're not overseen by the Securities and Exchange Commission. They only answer to the State Board of Insurance, which means that in their marketing pitches, they can make some absolutely outrageous claims. And when they turn out not to be true, they simply get a minor slap on their hand from the State Board of Insurance. And just to kind of, for some of our listeners that uh, weren't listening to us in 2005, 2006, we actually turned into the State Board of Insurance a particular radio show that was promoting equity indexed annuities. And uh, in one show, in one one hour, they had 26 noted violations in their sales practices and the sales pitches they were making. You know, continuing on EIAs, they carry extremely high fees and pay outrageous commissions to salespeople. In fact, I found a study conducted by two Ph.D. mathematicians for a firm called Securities Litigators where they have found that approximately 20% of premium paid into an equity indexed annuity goes directly into the pocket of the insurance company that created the EIA and to the sales force. And you keep saying EIA, equity, equity indexed index annuities. annuities. So if you're given, so if you're buying an equity indexed annuity, putting a hundred thousand dollars into it, you can almost assure yourself that about twenty thousand dollars of that is going into the pocket of the salesperson and the insurance company that has created the product. And you might say, well, Kyle, I put in a hundred thousand dollars and I've got a hundred thousand dollars in my account. That is true. But guess what you do have? You have anywhere between 10 to 17 years of surrender penalty period. Yeah, you heard me right. 17 years. I'm reviewing accounts right now for a prospective client that has 17-year surrenders, which means that if you want to get out of this thing, you're going to be hit with a massive back-end sales charge to cover the huge amount of commissions paid to the salesperson that sold these things. Now, equity-indexed annuities, again, because it's not an investment product, they can pay double-digit commissions to the people that sell them. Why do you think they're so popular for insurance agents? Why do you think they run radio shows all over the state, all over the country? Because they pay big commissions. That's right. Um and so we, you know, we talked about the surrender pe- penalty period. You know, I've done a bunch of research on multiple 
equity indexed annuities. And what I have found running numbers back, and in fact, I've I've seen some where numbers have been run back to 1950. I've seen numbers run back to 1962. And I can tell you that from the research I have done, you're looking at historical rates of return for some very popular equity indexed annuities that are out there right now being sold. Returns ranging anywhere from one and a half to two percent annualized per year. This is where we go back to the statement that we made in the first segment of this educational portion of the program that said that these equity indexed annuities over the long term don't re- return just maybe slightly more than you you might receive in a CD That's or, right. or government bond in, in the current interest rate environment. That's right. So let's talk about their uh, the extremely poor liquidity that equity indexed annuities provide. Now, all annuities, all annuities provide a 10% free withdrawal where you can take 10% of your money out without any kind of surrender penalties or what have you. But what happens if you lock up your retirement assets in an equity indexed annuity, variable annuity, fixed annuity, and God forbid you had an emergency and you need to get a hold of more than 10%? Well, in an equity indexed annuity, you could be hit with rear-end surrender charges 20% plus to get this money out. So there is extremely poor liquidity in equity indexed annuities. Coming up to our last commercial break, we're going to take the break. When we come back, I'll be wrapping up the equity indexed annuity education. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the break, I was talking about the lack of liquidity in equity indexed annuities and really annuities in general only allowing up to a 10% free withdrawal uh, anything above that particularly in equity indexed annuities you can be hit with substantial rear end commissions or rear end surrender charges as we call them or contingent deferred sales charges is another way uh, to describe them so again they have a real lack of liquidity now as I was talking about how extremely complicated these products are, you know, they're complicated to keep purchasers in the dark. So the salesperson can can continue to make outrageous claims and sell their perceived advantages to the purchaser, but because the product is so complex and you need to be a PhD in math and mathematics to figure them out, it, it, it makes it to where the purchaser doesn't have the ability to ask any questions because they were so complex and, op- and, opa- and opaque when it comes to, to how they actually are structured and how they work. And equity indexed annuity salespeople are really targeting the financially unsophisticated. Um, because, again, once you sign on that dotted line and your 10-day or 15-day free look period is up, for the annuity, you're trapped. There's nothing else you can do. If you want out of this thing, you could possibly get hit with a 20-plus percent sales charge trying to get out of this thing. Uh, you know, and what 
again, doing my research earlier this week, I ran across an insurance company out of Iowa that in the state of California, there's currently a class action lawsuit against them where they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. Now, for those of y'all that don't know, the RICO Act was used to break up racketeering and basically organize crime back in the 70s and 80s. And the fact that an equity-indexed annuity provider in this company in particular has over $21 billion of assets, they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. That's pretty That's pretty significant, I would say, wouldn't you say, Dan? Yes. That someone's getting accused, and actually I believe they've already lost, uh, and they're now having to pay a huge settlement. And, and really what the, the lawsuit stemmed from was the targeting of elderly people to buy equity-indexed annuities. And that's really where this California class action lawsuit is really aimed at this particular insurance company was because of their very deceptive and really predatory sales practices that they were using in equity indexed annuities. I mean, predatory to the point that Chris Hansen of Dateline NBC did a, what was it, like a one-hour or two-hour expose on the deceptive sales practices of equity indexed annuities. And he's known for the catch a predator. Well, this is to catch a financial predator. It was because his mother had been approached by uh, this... A salesperson. The salesperson. That's what got him into it. And and so somewhere out there on the internet, and this was from a few years ago. Yeah, it was several years. This was ago. several years ago. And again, any longtime listener to this program know that we are disdain for annuities of all shapes and forms. But equity indexed annuities is what really gets me fired up because they are so worthless. Well, they're, they're the my blue opinion. bonnet plague of all yeah, of all of all that products we've ever come across, and and you know we're doing our best to try to end the sales of these. But when you see these high commissions, and because they're targeting unsophisticated investors, they get taken by these fantastic sounding sales pitches, and then realizing after they sign on that dotted line, whoops, I made a huge mistake, but it's going to cost me a fortune to get out of this thing and to fix my mistakes. We're trying to educate our listeners to avoid making the mistake in the first place. Has there been anyone in the last nine years since we've been doing this radio show that called our office that said that they had an annuity of some type and after getting a few questions answered and looking at a statement, realizing that they had an equity indexed annuity and then explaining to them that the markets did X and their particular investment did far less than X have we ever had anyone express their pleasure that they bought one of these years ago? No. In, in, in fact, the prospective client right now that I'm working on was just doing some analysis on their EIAs. Got an EIA that's had since around 2006. Since 2006, um, his performance return up 15%. Moderately allocated asset builder account at Davidson Capital Management, actively managed close to 90% after all fees after all fees and expenses that's a huge difference that's a huge difference when you annualize that number when you annualize that number out again they're making just above what a cd would return 
but I, I can almost assure you that the sales pitch being used was all of the upside, none of the downside. And I do know, and again, for education, this prospective client had told me that another big pitch to him was that annuities was the only way to shelter your assets from lawsuits. That is an absolute lie. There are a multitude of ways to shelter your assets from being sued and from liability. Being inside an IRA, inside of a 401K, inside any kind of retirement plan, that's a way to shelter annuities. You have family-limited partnerships. Yeah. The last person that anyone should be asking about how do I shelter my assets from potential lawsuits is an insurance salesman. Amen. Amen. If you if you need to talk to a lawyer mm-hmm. about shielding assets from particular that's or right. from from a lawsuit, that's the only person, in my opinion, that would be qualified to answer that question. You don't go ask your mechanic about a tax question. Yeah, that's right. You don't and come. You, to, you, you, you don't come to us asking about a heart problem. That's right. You don't go to yeah. your doctor to get your teeth cleaned. Right. So I mean, really, when it comes down to the end of the day, anyone that's listening to this program that has even had the fleeting thought of buying a product like this, do yourself a huge favor. Pick up the phone, give us a call at 906-0070, and take 15 to 20 minutes out of your life to get an education about how these things work. And that's of any, any type of annuity. Of any type of annuity. And I can tell you that we've had some calls, I've had some calls in the past, Jeff, of people that have heard this education that we've done in the past on annuities and they have thanked us for making that mistake and buying these types of products and you know i wanted to to thank all of our listeners to to sticking with us in the second hour of this weekend's money wise program to get this education because we want to see the ending of the sales of these products because they are no good for 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 nobody i mean they're they're no good period and there should be no reason for these things to be bought. So if you want to get an education, you give us a call. And with that, I would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And for my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.